0: so we were coming to the end of the chapter regarding tayammum coming to the end of the section regarding tayammum so for the last two or three sessions we've gone over some of the ahadith connected to the issue of tayammum when it is allowed how it is to be done whether tayammum is equivalent to wudu, or is it a temporary substitute for wudu only that is one of the main topics when it comes to tayammum when you make tayammum does it equate completely equally to being upon the normal state of wudu? Or is it something lesser than that? Just enough temporarily to cover you. There were two opinions. One opinion was that tayammum, it covers you completely and equally, just like Wudu. So when you make tayammum, you can pray, your current prayer, you can pray the next prayer, tayammum removes your hadath. It is rafi'un lil hadath. Whereas the other opinion was, tayammum is only a temporary measure, that if you're unable to use water, or there is no water available, then you can make tayammum and make do with it as a temporary measure up until water is found. So then when water is found, you have to then make the proper wudu and can no longer continue upon the tayammum. So I believe we got to the last hadith that we did last time. I believe was the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, radiyallahu anhu. Qal, kharaja rajulani fi safar, fa hadaratis salah, wa laysa ma'ahuma ma fa tayammama sa'eidan tayyiba. فصليا ثم وجد الماء في الوقت فأعاد أحدهما الصلاة والوضوء ولم يعيد الآخر ثم أتى يا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فذكر ذلك له فقال للذي لم يعد أصبت السنه وَأَجْزَأَتْكَ صَلَاتُكَ وَقَالَ لِلْآخَرْ لَكَ الْأَجْرُ مَرَّتَيْنَ This was the last hadith we did. The hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri, رضي الله عنه, he said, Two men, they went out on a journey. And the time for the prayer came. The time for the prayer entered as they were gone out on their journey somewhere and they did not have any water with them. So they're out in the middle of nowhere on their journey, no water anywhere and they don't have any water with them. And the time for the prayer has come. So what did they do? So then of course in that circumstance Where there is no water available Then they made tayammum Because you remember from the first lesson about tayammum we mentioned Tayammum can be done when there is no water available There is no water available anywhere Or if water is available but you cannot use it for some reason, Tayyamum can be done in that circumstance too. Water is available but you cannot use it for some reason. That reason, there are many reasons. It could be because of your medical situation, some type of health related issue. You cannot use the water. It could also be due to... hmm? Cold weather, I suppose it can be like a subcategory of your health and medical situation. That the cold weather, it is so severe, if you use the water, it could impact upon you, uh, cause you to become ill, etc. Any other reasons why you might not be able to use the water? Contamination, then the water is impermissible to use in the first place. No to life. Water. S- uh, I suppose that's possible as well. Danger, danger, to danger to your life, meaning that you cannot access the water. You remember they mention in the examples in the books of fiqh, you, you might be there out in the jungle or the desert or the savannah somewhere, and there is a lake of water. You can see it right in front of you. But all around that lake, there are lions drinking. So how are you going to go into that lake and make wudu? You can go in, but you won't come out. So now in that case, it's impossible to access the water and use it, even though it is available. There are other things they mention in the books of fiqh. They say perhaps between you And access to the water is your enemy. Maybe the water you know where it is. It's just around the block over there. But you can't get to it. Your enemy is within you. Between you and that water. And you cannot access it. Uh, uh, They mention also examples. Imagine you are held hostage or tied up. You are being held hostage or tied up onto a pillar and the water's right there, two meters, three meters ahead of you, right there, there's a bowl. But you can't get to it, you're tied up on the pillar. You're, you're held hostage or whatever's going on. So there could be lots of reasons why water is available, but you cannot use it for a variety of reasons. Then in that case, again, would, uh, tayammum would be permissible, and the other obvious reason when water isn't available in the first place. So in this case they were out journeying and there was no water available in the first place. So they made tayammum. And then they prayed. They made tayammum and they prayed. Then afterwards, as they continued journeying, they happened to come across some water. They happened to come across some water. And it was still within the time of the prayer they had just prayed. So imagine at 12.30, these days Dhuhr comes maybe 12.30 approximately. At 12.30 they think to themselves, Dhuhr time has come in. So they look around, there is no water. So they make tayammum and they pray. Then they carry on on their journey. So now there's still an hour and a half till Asr comes in, 2 p.m. these days, thereabouts. So imagine they were walking, 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 quarter past one. They come across water. So they are still in the time of dhuhr yet, and they found water. So now, is there dhuhr that they prayed upon Tayammum half an hour ago when the time came in? Is it valid? Or do they now have to make wudu now that they have got water and it's within the time and pray the prayer again? That is the difference of opinion between the scholars. In the narration, what did they do? When they came across the water and it was still within the time of the prayer, wal wudu. One of the two men... Decided now that we found water I need to repeat So he made proper wudu With the water that was now available And then prayed that prayer again But the other man didn't He didn't make wudu with the water that they had now found He didn't repeat his prayer He left it at the prayer that he'd already prayed upon tayammum Believing that's valid There was no water at the time We made tayammum, we prayed It's valid So he didn't repeat his prayer Then afterwards when they got back from the journey They came to the messenger of Allah Sallallahu alaihi wasallam) And they mentioned to him what happened They mentioned that story to him And they mentioned to him that one of them, I repeated my prayer, made wudu with the water once we found it. The other one said, I didn't. I believe the original prayer was valid upon tayammum. So the Prophet ﷺ said to the one who did not repeat the prayer again, who left it at the original prayer upon tayammum, the messenger said to him, That you have done the sunnah And your prayer is sufficient for you You've done the sunnah and your prayer counts The messenger said that to the one who had not Repeated the prayer again after they found water within the time of the prayer Messenger said to him you've done the sunnah and your prayer counts for you Then the messenger said to the other one the one who had repeated the prayer Lakal ajru marratain. That for you is the reward twice for you is the reward twice. This narration then, as Shaykh al-Fawzan, he mentions, the first benefit we can take from it is the obvious, which is the legislation The Sharia tells us that you can make tayammum when there is no water available. What's the evidence in the hadith that proves that? Exactly, that's what they did. The two of them, when they didn't find any water, they knew that the ruling now Islamically is to make tayammum and pray. And that's what they did. So in the legislation, we know that is the ruling. When there is no water found, then you make tayammum and pray. Secondly, the second benefit, (laughs) أن من وجد الماء بعدما صلى بالتيمم لا يعيد الصلاة ولو قبل خروج الوقت The second benefit from this narration is that if the time for a prayer comes in and you cannot find any water so you make tayammum and pray later on if you do find water and it's still within the same prayer time yet the hadith tells us it is not an obligation upon you to have to then make the full wudu with the water that you've now found and then repeat the prayer again. You don't have to do that. وَإن... لأنه عليه وإنما التيمم بوجود الماء إذا كان قبل الصلاة. Notice in the hadith one very important point. They found the water when? When did they find it? Before or after the prayer time had entered? After. Because when the prayer time entered originally they had no water. The prayer time entered. So they had prayed with tayammum. Then later on. They found the water. So they found the water definitely after the prayer time had entered. And so their original prayer was valid upon tayammum. But if you found water before the prayer time entered, then obviously you would not be able to pray that prayer upon Teammum, because you already found the water before the prayer time even entered yet You have the water there, ready, prepared So you've got to make wudu now for the prayer coming up You cannot now say, I didn't have water, you have the water now So here the point was, they found the water after the prayer time had entered And they had already prayed upon Tayammum. (laughs) <laughs> and the previous narration that we came across where the messenger said, when a person finds water, then let him fear Allah and touch that upon his skin. Meaning let him make the wudu So some of the scholars may use that narration And they'll say look the messenger said When you find water Then fear Allah and put it to your skin Meaning make the wudu with it Some of them may use that and say look that's the proof Why you are supposed to then make the wudu and repeat your prayer But others they say no The meaning of this narration is That if you find the water ...prior to the prayer entering... ...or that you find the water after the prayer time has entered... ...but you have not yet made tayammum and prayed... ...you were still maybe looking yet and you found the water. So in those cases, that's the meaning of the narration. In those cases, you have to use the water... ...and make the full wudu and pray. But in the case where the time enters and you look... ...and you don't find water... Then you can make tayammum and pray And that's done This therefore shows and proves That it is not a condition necessarily To keep searching for the water Up until the end time Because a person may say That if Dhuhr enters at 12.30 And Asr enters at 2 p.m that's 90 minutes A person may say, well in that case, 90 minutes Let's call it an hour at least From 12.30 till 1.30 For an hour, let's keep looking for water Then after an hour, if we don't find anything and There's only half an hour left Then it's getting risky now Then make a tear, and pray But is that a necessity? Hadith indicates it's not the time for the prayer enters at the beginning, 12 o'clock, 5 past 12, 10 past 12, you look around, you search of course, look around, search, you don't find anything anywhere. At the early time of the prayer, you can make tayammum and pray. It's not a condition, you have to keep searching up until you get to the point of no return and then you have to make tayammum. The third issue here, في الحديث دليل على وقوع الاجتهاد في زمنه صلى الله عليه وسلم فإن هذين الصحابيين اجتهدا أحدهما لم يعيد الصلاة والثاني أعادها This indicates that the companions used to make Ijtihad at that time Ijtihad And what is Ijtihad Generally in a nutshell That you Based upon All of the evidences And knowledge available And the knowledge and evidences That you have You attempt to deduce A ruling Or infer a ruling From that You make your Ijtihad Upon the issue So they made ijtihad in that issue. One of them decided, well, we found water, the prayer time is still in, you should pray again. The other one decided, no, what we did was valid. We implemented the rulings, there was no water, so we made tayammum and we prayed. So he made his ijtihad upon that. So there was ijtihad of this nature at the time of the Prophet ﷺ. And you remember the example regarding Bani Quraidah. When the Prophet ﷺ said to that group of them, Do not pray Asr until you get to Bani Quraidah. So they hastened to get to Bani Quraidah. But they didn't make it until after Maghrib but the messenger has said to them, Do not pray asr until you get there. So some of them didn't pray until they got there, which was out of the time. Others they said, No, the time we gotta pray. We haven't made it. The messenger did say, pray it there, but we haven't made it, the time's going. So some of them prayed en route. And again, that was Ijtihad from them all, because Some of them made the ijtihad That the prophet meant Literally do not pray asr Until you get there So they didn't literally Others they understood No actually what the messenger meant By that was be quick It's like A figure of speech I don't want you to pray asr Until you're there Meaning get there pray your asr when you get there Be quick and get there For asr time but if you don't Then obviously you've just got to pray. That's the ijtihad. Some of them made. So these are examples where this type of ijtihad did occur at the time of the companions. And there are other examples as well in hadith of ijtihad. These days when you talk about in fiqh or usul al-fiqh, when they talk about the levels of the scholars... And you have the faqih, and you have the mufti, and you have the mujtahid. They say in fiqh, or usul al-fiqh, the mujtahid is of a certain level. And not anyone, not every scholar, can be at the level of a mujtahid. Let alone, mashaAllah, the students of knowledge, the scholars. Some of them will not be at the level of mujtahid. The one who is at the level of mujtahid They say in the usul al-fiqh Is the one who has grasped A wide range of the evidences Has a broad understanding Covering the affairs Because how can you make ijtihad on an issue If you don't know all of the evidences You've got to have all of the basis laid out Then you can examine and come to a conclusion. If you don't even know what all of the narrations are in that particular topic. You don't even know what all of the evidences are in that particular topic. How are you going to make ijtihad on that topic? Hence it is of a superior and higher level. And they mention this. The levels of the fuqaha. In the, in the books of Asul al-Fiqh. And the mufti. What kind of characteristics are required of a person who is a mufti the one who can give the fatwa so these are levels of knowledge and there is no doubt there are darajat there are levels in that knowledge fourthly this is what we mentioned earlier that it is not an obligation for you to keep looking for water until you get right to the end of the prayer time and there's no choice left. Then you make tayammum. It's not a condition for you to have to do that. The Shaykh says If the time of the prayer comes in and at that time you don't have water, You're out on a journey somewhere, and the prayer time comes in. The location you have arrived at at that moment in your journey, there is no water there available. You have no water. There's no water there. You can stop there, make tayammum and pray. You don't have to say, "Well, it's only the beginning time. Let's carry on. Maybe we'll find water." It's not a necessity. The time for the prayer comes in. You don't have water the ruling becomes activated that you can make tayammum and you can pray so it is not necessitated for you to delay the prayer to the end time until you get to a point of no return and you believe there's no chance of finding water However, what if you're traveling, (coughs) you're on that journey, the time for the prayer comes in, and you don't have any water there, nothing with you, nothing in that area where you have arrived on your journey. But maybe you've done that journey in the past. And maybe you remember that just past that valley, just past that tree and that mountain, there was some water last time. So now you believe that just ahead another half an hour on, past that mountain it was, just past that hill, last time you went past there was water down there. So now what should you do? Time has entered, you don't have water in the location you're at, But you believe the previous time, a couple of kilometers down, there was some water. Can you pray right now because the conditions are valid? Time for prayer has come in. You don't have any water with you. There's no water here available. Can you pray now? Or should you in that occasion, in that circumstance, delay then and carry on and check is there water where you think there is? can do both but which one if you're in the journey you're there which one are you going to do you're going to the water even though you think that last time when you went on the journey you think from what you can remember it was that little valley over there where there was water The Sheikh says, in that instance, because that's a bit different to the instance where you have no idea, and you're just going to keep looking and looking. In this instance, if you overwhelmingly think that there is water available coming up, then you should go to it. So if you maybe, in this example we're giving, imagine you've done that journey before a couple of times, And from what you can vaguely remember It was that hill coming up There's a little lake that goes past it From what you can remember roughly And you're pretty certain it's that hill So then in that case Where you're reasonably certain You think it's pretty much that one there Then in that case With that type of overwhelming suspicion That you are going to find water just over there Then you should delay the prayer Go there first As long as you can reach that within the Time of the prayer, you can get there in the next 20 minutes, half an hour, it's over there Within the time of the prayer and you overwhelmingly think that's where the water was last time So then you should go there You know you can make it there within the time of the prayer And you have some reason to believe there is water there That's different to a person going on that route for the first time for example Has no idea where the water is for him now the time enters, he can look, there's nothing there. Make pray. But in this other case, it's a person who isn't completely blind. He does have an idea where he thinks the water might be. Or it could be different reasons. He might see, for example, lots of birds flocking in the distance. For example, they're out in the desert somewhere and they see a large amount of birds flocking around up ahead. So they think, well, that only happens if there must be some source of water maybe. So maybe that is what creates the overwhelming suspicion in their mind that maybe there's water just there, all those birds and we saw some animals up ahead. So again, you can delay, you can go then up to that point to see if that is the case or not. But where you have no other suspicion in any case, in any way, then the prayer time enters, you commit to yammum, and you pray your prayer. If the person in these examples we've just been talking about, the person, for example, who'd been on that route before, and he thinks, I'm pretty sure the water was down there, or they see the birds and the animals, they think probably there might be water down there, but in both cases they are not certain In both cases they are not certain If you are certain then it's as good as saying the water is available If you're absolutely certain exactly that tree On the right of it you can't see but there's a big lake there You're absolutely certain then khalas, you gotta go there But in these cases the examples we're giving They are not absolutely certain they see the animals, they think probably But they don't know The man th- looks at the route and he thinks I think I know where we are I think the water's over there But he doesn't know for certain So in those two cases the sheikh said It's better then if you're going to be within the time Still go and check But Can you decide though As an Islamic ruling That I'm just going to pray anyway It looks like it could be that place There are animals, there's this, there, but I'm just going to make tayammum and pray. Would the prayer be valid if you did that in that circumstance? It would still be valid. The prayer would still be valid. Because you don't have water. You think there might be some over there, but you have no certainty on that. So, khalas, you can make tayammum and pray. The only thing the Sheikh is saying is, if it's within the time and the possibility to to check out your suspicion is there then go and do it maybe there is water and you can make wudu then then we move on to the next narration وَعَنِ بْنِ عَبَّاسِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا فِي قَوْلِهِ عَزَّ وَجَلْ وَإِن كُنْتُمْ (coughs) مَرْضًا أَوْ عَلَىٰ سَفَرْ قَالِ إِذَا كَانَتْ بِالرَّجُلِ الْجَرَاحَةِ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ وَالْقُرُوحِ Fayujnib, Fayahafu and Yamuta, in other tassel, Tayamam, Rahudar Putni, Maupufan, or of Ahul Bazar, was a Hahaob no Hoseima will hack In this narration, it mentions that if a man has wounds and injuries upon him, open wounds from battle. Perhaps from battle, there are open wounds where the sword has gone in and the daggers have gone in and he has injuries and wounds on him, open wounds in his body. And he fears that he may die if he was to make a ghusl, if he was to use water and it goes into all of those open injuries Deep cuts it could be with the, the swords and the daggers and the battle And if he fears putting water everywhere Water getting into all of these areas Could even lead to his death Because of the effect it would have on those injuries and the open wounds Then in that case the narration says The person can then make wudu That is the example of the medical excuse For not being able to use water Even if it's available فَابْنُ عَبَّاسِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ anhuma عَنْهُمَا يُفَسِّرُ هَذِهِ الْآيَةِ وَإِن كُنْتُمْ مَرْضًا أَوْ عَلَى سَفَرٍ So the ayah in the Qur'an where Allah said, If you are sick or you are traveling, ابن عَبَّاسِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا was clarifying the meaning of this ayah. What does it mean? If you are sick, so he gave this example. Perhaps the sickness is meaning the injuries and the wounds, and you're not able to use water on them. That is a, an example of a type of sickness. Be'an al murad biha, man kana't bihi jara'ah fil jihad fi yani Allah. <laughs> يعني إصابة بسلاح أو حجر وغير ذلك أو قروح. وَهِي عَنِ الْبُثُورِ الَّتِي تَنْبُتُ فِي So if a person has these wounds and injuries from battle for example, from the swords and weapons or from stones and other things, or he has certain types of uh, like blisters and, and those kinds of things on his skin, certain types of uh, uh, boils or blisters or of that nature of, on his skin, where water can't go onto it. You cannot put water onto your skin because of that ailment you have on your skin. Then in those cases, it would be considered an illness or an ailment that allows you to make tayammum instead. And we mentioned last time, what if that exists only on a particular body part? What if you have a huge wound On one hand Big open cut And you can't put water on there But everywhere else you're all good So now what can you do as well? So the scholars they say You can make wudu All of the rest of your wudu You can do it The example we mentioned Somebody asked a few weeks ago Was when you have your tooth removed If you have your tooth removed They tell you don't put any water in there For a few hours or whatever it is so now how are you supposed to wash your mouth out after you have a tooth removed? So the scholars, they say, in that case, medically then, you're not supposed to put any water in there. So don't. You're excused from putting water into your mouth when making wudu. But then when you make all of the rest of the wudu, it means you've missed your mouth out, which according to the uh, a majority of the scholars is an obligation with your face. So in that case the scholars they say Make the full wudu for the rest of it Miss your mouth out And make tayammum at the end on top And that tayammum covers the body part That you couldn't use water with Because in that instance You don't need to make tayammum and that's it You can make full wudu everywhere It's just one body part you can't put the water onto So they say make the full wudu And for that one body part you make tayammum and that covers for the body part that was missed at the end. So then, here it says if you have this type of injury, so it's not just wounds and injuries or skin conditions, it can be any type of illness. Any type of illness that would cause you harm in using water alongside that particular illness, then it is permissible. You're excused from the water and you can make tayammum. Fayujnim. So in this hadith, it gives the example, imagine somebody has these wounds and things and he goes into a state of janabah, perhaps a wet dream, etc., <laughs> So now, not only is it wudu, <coughs> but with all these wounds, he needs to make a full ghusl now. But he fears if he makes a ghusl with the state, his body is in with the injuries and open wounds, etc. A ghusl and water going in everywhere, he could even die from that. Then in that case, tayammama, he's allowed to make the tayammum. Yani, فِي جراحته أَوْ فِي قروحه فَيَتَأَذَّى بِذَٰلِكَ فِيَمُوتِ فَإِنَّهُ يَعَدِلُ إِلَى التَّيَمُّمُ Does this mean therefore <coughs> because the narration says he fears he may die if he makes the ghusl then he can make tayammum based upon that wording it could possibly be understood that tayammum is only allowed in the extreme circumstance where Where you fear death from using the water That's what the hadith says If he fears death Then he can do tayammum So does that mean anybody who's got minor injuries, minor cuts It's gonna sting a bit if the water goes in But you're not gonna drop dead Then in that case are you still allowed to make tayammum or not? Meaning if it is only a lesser type of illness you're still gonna be harmed by using the water it will still harm you and have a detrimental effect upon your health but not any fear of death coming from it so then can you make t-im-um-un-at? here the hadith seems to indicate it's only if you do fear death could even occur if you use it however the sheikh says هل المراد بأنه لا يعدل المريض إلى التيمم إلا إذا خاف على نفسه الموت الجواب الظاهر أنه هكذا أي إن المريض لا يعدل إلى التيمم إلا إذا خاف على نفسه الموت والصحيح أنه لا وجمهور أهل العلم بأن المريض إذا خاف على نفسه زيادة المرض باستعمال الماء أو خاف من تأخير الشفاء فلا هو أن يتيمم so the majority of the scholars have said though, that if a person fears that his illness will increase, he'll get worse, as a consequence of using water, then he doesn't have to use water, he can make him. Or, even if he does not fear becoming more ill, He's not going to become more ill by using the water But by using water it's going to affect his illness to, In the manner that it takes longer for him to get well Two things, using the water actually makes you more ill Or secondly, using the water doesn't make you more ill You remain as you are But in terms of how quickly you can recover, that gets delayed. It it pushes back your recovery. doesn't make you worse, but pushes back your recovery. In both instances, it is permissible, therefore, to use tayammum instead of water. To make tayammum instead of using water. And that's the same ruling for fasting. When is a person who is sick allowed to miss fasting fasting coming up now barely a few weeks left when is a person allowed to miss fasting because of illness firstly what type of illness let's start there illness that will what So if you are going to be cured from the illness, you're not allowed to miss fasting? We're asking what kind of illness allows you to miss fasting? You have to take medicine, to take medicine. so if it's an illness where no medicine is required, you still have to fast. That's one way to look at it, some of the scholars have mentioned that. An illness, some of the salaf, they mentioned it too. There are different levels of illness. A person could have a headache. A little headache isn't going to stop you from fasting. A person might even have a slight cold. Doesn't necessarily stop you from fasting. Minor illnesses, minor ailments, you're riding your bike, you fall off, you make a huge gash on your knee. Doesn't necessarily stop you from fasting. There are lots of illnesses that could occur to you, but they don't stop you from fasting. An illness, some of the salaf, they said, that stops you from fasting. And they gave some general like examples. They said, if it's an illness that prevents you from leaving your home, then that is good enough to allow you to miss fasting. Meaning, if you're ill, you're ill. But you're not so ill that you can't just about put your coats on and wrap up and go to the corner shop to pick up some milk or something you're not ill enough to be missing fasting if you're good enough to get out of your house. That's what some of them used to say. If you're good enough to manage to get out of your house, you're not ill enough to be missing fasting. So in other words, it's a bit like what they say these days, if you are bedridden, then okay, that, that's severe enough that you can miss your fasting. Basically, it's the same as this ruling here. Any illness, I mean that is just an example of the society used to give, But any illness whereby fasting will increase the severity of that illness, then you're allowed to miss. Or any illness where fasting will not increase the severity of it, but will delay your recovery from it, you're allowed to miss fasting as well. Same as this. Same exactly. Any illness that will become worse if you fast, then you're allowed to miss. Or any illness that may not necessarily become any worse than you already are, but by fasting and not getting liquids and food, etc., it's going to add on another week to your recovery time, another two weeks, another month. By the time you recover because of lack of liquids and food, etc., then again you're allowed to miss the fasting. But if it doesn't come into those then you're not allowed to miss the fasting for an illness. And that's why a minor headache or a minor cold and these kinds of minor things, they are not really a reason to be missing fasting. A headache, yes. If you drink your liquids, etc., often it's dehydration or whatever, maybe it recovers. But it's a minor thing, a small headache. We're not talking about migraines and things. A small headache, everybody gets a small headache now and again. Does that headache prevent you from getting up and going to work still? Everybody gets up and goes to work. Nobody misses work because of a headache. So these minor illnesses that are not going to harm you in any way, they don't increase necessarily by any reasonable or any uh, realistic kind of measurement, or they don't prolong, then those types of smaller minor illnesses are not a reason to miss fasting. That's just in terms of the type of illness. As for the chronic illness and those things, that's the rulings that differ. If you have a chronic illness, a type of illness that, uh, as they say in the books of fiqh, la Yurja A type of illness whereby you are not expected to recover from it ever. You are thought- the, 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 the medics they believe and your diagnosis is that you are going to have this illness you've got for the rest of your life This is how it's going to be Every day you're going to have to keep taking these pills You're not going to recover from this issue you've got now It's going to be with you for the rest of your life And if that issue is a type whereby you can't fast Then what are you going to do? You're going to miss this Ramadan but you're also going to miss Next Ramadan and the one after that And all of them for the rest of your life Because they believe That this illness of yours Is going to be with you now For the rest of your life So then what are you supposed to do? You miss the fasting And you Feed Do the feeding fidya But as for the person Yurja shafa'uhu Or bur'uhu A person who has an illness Whereby it is anticipated That he will recover from it. Then that person again can miss if those other conditions are in place. And he has to afterwards, when he recovers, make up those days. That's the difference in the ruling regarding them. So here it's those two. If a person fears using water will increase his illness or prolong the recovery period, then it is permissible for him to use uh, to uh, not use the water and to make tayammum instead. كَمَا فَعَلَ عمر بن العاص and there's this example of Amr ibn al as in one of the narrations, رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عنه, whereby he uh, had some medical issue and as a consequence he feared using water would harm him uh, uh, from the coldness of the water, and so he made tayammum. بعد ذلك، وعن علي رضي الله عنه قال: إن كسرت إحدى زنديّة، فسألت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم، فأمرني أن أمسح على الجبائر. <coughs> Here it's mentioned in this hadith of Ali radiallahu anhu He says that one of his arms broke, he broke his arm He broke his arm And when he broke his arm those days and these days You put a cast, some type of cast uh, the, The casting on top of that broken bone so that it can heal So then it mentions in this narration that he broke one of his arms and he came to the Prophet وسلم, to ask him about the situation. He's now got one of his arms all wrapped up. How's he supposed to make wudu? So he came to the messenger to find out what to do. And again, the Sheikh says, Yasaloon Nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa This was the affair or the state of the companions. This is how they were. Anytime any issue came up, religious issue, they need a ruling, they would go to the Prophet and ask him. They would return back to him and ask him, as Allah told us in the Quran, Fasalu Zikri in Kuntum La Ask the people of remembrance, the people of knowledge, the scholars, the ulama, if indeed you do not know. So Ali radiallahu anhu with his arm wrapped up now didn't know how to make wudu, what to do here. He came to the messenger to ask him about that wudu and ghusl, how to make the purification with this body part wrapped up. So Ali رضي الله عنه says an أَنْ أَمْسَحَ عَلَى الجبائر. That the Prophet commanded me to wipe over the caste To wipe over the caste وأنعم. فَالنَّبِيُّ تَحْتَ الْجَبَائِرِ So the messenger told Ali to wipe over the cast and that you don't need to wash under. Obviously then to take all of that off, these days the way they put it on, you can't take it off anyway. And in those days to take it all off then and try and wash under, which technically if you have a broken bone, there's nothing wrong with the actual skin on top. You can put water on the skin on top. I assume the doctors will be okay with that. You can put water on top of the skin. The bone is broken inside. But the messenger here, Ali radhiallahu anhu mentions, didn't tell him to take off the wrapping and put the water on top of the skin, which isn't going to affect the broken bone as such. But he said, just wipe over the top of the bandage. Wipe over the top of that cast instead. Uh, خَفَّفَ عَنِ الأم... uh, وَقَدْ سَبَقَ لَنَا الْمَسْحُ عَلَى الْخُفَّيْنِ وَالْمَسْحُ عَلَى الْعَمَامَةِ Previously we've already covered the section about wiping over the leather socks Or the other normal socks And also wiping over the hmm, Shoes and socks together And what was the other item? The amama, the turban If you've got a properly wrapped up turban The ones that are fully entangled and wrapped up Then those ones you can't untie them all And then tie them back in those ones That are fully properly tied up and entangled up You can leave them and wipe over them But as for the loose ones Loose, any type of loose garment Even a loose turban That isn't wrapped up and tied up Then you remove that and do the proper wiping But anything fully wrapped and tied and entangled You can wipe over it So the socks, the amama And now the third thing which you're allowed to wipe over is the castes, those castes for broken bones and the likes. So if a person who has a cast on, if the ruling was you have to get rid of that, and you have to put water on top of the skin, that would of course be a great harm, And a great difficulty upon the person with a cast on. So the ease that the religion has given us that it is permissible to wipe over uh, the cast. When we spoke about the leather socks and the socks, a person who is resident can wipe over them for how long? One day, a person who's a traveler. So what about the person with a cast? Broken arm going to fix in three days? So, there is no limit, obviously. You cannot limit that to a day or three days. It's impossible. Broken bones are going to take much longer than that. The cast is going to be on there much longer than that. So, there is no time limit to this. There is no time limit to this. As long as you have that cast on and you are in need of wiping over it, then it is permissible to do so. Also, so that's one difference between the caste and the socks and the amama. Another difference is with the socks and the amama, it is permissible to wipe over them from which type of impurity? The minor impurity. If you are upon major impurity, you've got to take off the amama, take off the socks, and do a ghusl. You can't wipe over them for major impurity. Whereas this, a cast Again you can You can Because the cast again Because of the difficulty and the removal Even the major, you need to have a ghusl You can do a ghusl and then you just wipe over The cast area The third difference That the Socks and the amama To wipe over them The prerequisite was that you had to have Put them on In a state of Purity in a state of purity Whereas a cast If you were in an accident La Allah You get into an accident You're unconscious The ambulance comes and takes you The next time you wake up You've got six casts all over you Lying in the hospital bed That's when you wake up So now Maybe when you were driving the car And had the accident You were not up on Wudu. so you know now they put these casts on you in a state of non-purity so now what are you going to have to tell them take them all off I got to make wudu first then put them on so that's why the scholars they say upon the most authentic opinion on that issue that of course that is a type of necessity now if you got into that kind of situation then you can still pray and wipe over it even though it was put on in a state where you may not have been upon purity The fourth difference is with the socks and the amama, when you wipe over the socks, you just go over the top. You don't have to go all around wiping them all. And the amama, you don't have to go all around again, you just go over the top. The cast though, everywhere on it. Get the water and you wipe all around the cast. Not just go over the top of it and that's it. It's all around it. Fully, as opposed to the socks where you just go over the top we have the final couple of narrations here uh, in fact um, yeah hadith number 136 is what we've mentioned before when you have one body part <coughs> When you have one body part that is affected only, then the rest of the body you can make your normal purity, your normal wudu, your normal whatever the normal washing, and just that one body part that is affected you can either wipe if it's a cast, or if it was like the example of the mouth and the tooth, then you make the to cover it. Uh, and the final narration in this chapter, from Ibn Abbas, from he said, "From the Sunnah is that Allah you ar al-Rajul bi-taymumi illa salat an waahida, ثم يتيمم للصلاة الأخرى. That from the Sunnah is that a person should only pray one prayer per tayammum." So if you're on that journey again at Dhuhr time, you look around, no water, you make tayammum, you pray Dhuhr. You're still traveling, traveling, traveling. Asr time comes in where you've arrived now, still no water anyway. So now according to this narration, you're supposed to make tayammum again and pray Asr. Not just say, but I'm upon purity from the previous tayammum. I haven't broken my wudu in any way. I'm upon that previous tayammum still. According to this narration, next prayer now, you're starting from scratch. You look for water again, no water, make tayammum again and pray. Uh, one second. So that's what this narration seems to indicate. That you have to refresh the tayammum for the next prayer. هذا الحديث يدل على أن حكم ينتهي بالصلاة. وَأَنَّهُ إِذَا أَرَادَ أَنْ يُصَلِّيَ صَلَاةً أُخْرَى فَلَابُدَّ مِنْ تَيَمُّمْ آخِرُ وَهَاذَا يُؤَيِّدْ قَوْلَ مَنْ قَالُوا إِنَّ التَّيَمُّمْ مُبِيحْ لِسَّلَىٰهِ لَيْسَ رَافِعً لِلْحَدَرِ According to this opinion then, that if you get to the time of asr now, start from fresh, look for water, no water, make tayammum again and pray. According to that position, it's upon the opinion that tayammum is only a Temporary measure It was a temporary measure that you used at dhuhr It's not something constant Temporary measure you used at dhuhr Now asr time Again you look for water you can't find any Again you can now use the Temporary measure again So make tayammum again Whereas the other opinion which says It is rafi'un lil hadith That when you make tayammum It removes your state of impurity Just as wudu does Which means once you've made tayammum It's exactly the same as somebody who's made wudu. You are upon a state of purity According to that opinion If at dhuhr time you did it And then you're journeying, journeying, journeying Asar time you find no water You can just pray because you're already upon purity from your previous tayammum, because they believe it removes the hadith just as normal wudu does. That brings us to the end (coughs) of the section regarding tayammum. It mentions that we, when we covered it last time, the nasiyah, the forelock, that the messenger used to touch the forelock and then go onto and above the amama. That is mentioned in some narrations to do it like that. And uh, this afternoon, uh, you say only one table for one salat. Mm. If the salat is jamma, like right? when you are in journey, <laughs> I don't remember Allah alam, what they say about that Because that is the opinion of the Mubih salah. Allah alam. We'll have to look into their Madahib And see what they say Whether they say Both of these prayers are allowed Because they are The jama' So it's as though it is together So maybe they'll say Okay that one tayammum covers them both But maybe they'll say No they are two independent Praise and you got to do it twice. Allah alam. I don't remember which one they say about that. Somebody else had a question. Oh, okay. Um, just on that note, if you're on a journey and you combine you two prayers, can you combine even if you're going to get home before the second one starts? It is permissible. Imagine if you're on a journey somewhere and uh, uh, you get to Maghrib time. So, upon the examples of these days, then. Uh, 4 4.30 these days So imagine at 4.30 p.m. you're out journeying somewhere And uh, you know you're going to get back here to the mosque by 7.45 p.m. You'll be here You can be back in Bradford by then So you can be back in Bradford for the jama'ah time of Isha But at 4.30 you're still in the middle of your journey At 4.30 you're still down near Leicester somewhere Two hours away from Bradford yet You can combine your Maghrib and Isha down there. Even if you're going to get back to Bradford at 7 p.m. So you can even make it to the Jama'ah in Bradford. You're allowed to combine because the rules are in place. You are currently in the act of journeying and you have not yet arrived back to your hometown. As long as you're in the act of journeying and still outside of your hometown, it is permissible. However, as sheik al-Uthaymeen says in that kind of circumstance, it's better to pray your Maghrib and pray your Isha when you get back in the Jama'ah then. You know you can make it, you're back in your hometown by that time, even if it's not the Jama'ah, but you'll be back before the end of that prayer time. Our Shaykh al does have an opinion that you should leave that then until you get back and pray it full, you're going to be back before the prayer time exits. But it's not a condition. You're a traveler, you're allowed to combine up there. There isn't. If a person is a traveler, he is a traveler. Even if it is uh, daily, for work, it is permissible. You are on a journey, you're on a journey. Hmm? So let's say you pray in your isha, but you come to the masjid and you pray jama'ah. Can you pray again? You, the you pray again, you make your intention of nafil. And you get the reward of praying in the jama'ah. But you don't make the intention of isha again. ibn Jabal used to pray with the Prophet sallallahu when the Prophet used to lead the prayer for Isha, Mu'adh ibn Jabal used to pray in the congregation. Then after the uh, prayer finished, he would then go to his area where he lived, and then he would be—he was the Imam of his area. He would go and be the Imam in his local mosque, wherever he lived, and lead the Isha prayer. But how can he lead the Isha prayer when he was praying in the jama'ah behind the messenger? He already prayed Isha. So then he would pray, lead his own people in his area, with the intention of Nafl, and everybody behind is praying the intention of Farda Isha. So you can't repeat the prayer, you make Nafl the second time. Yeah, both, uh, technically upon the rulings would be possible, it's possible. You can do both either way, as long as you're not repeating the farḍ. Yeah, these are differences. You, in the books of Fick, they talk about these differences. Uh, some of them say both hands together. Some of them say you can do one hand. Uh, those, the the sifa of how you do it, there are some different opinions about it. If we do both together, no problem. It's correct, it's valid. No, no, that's only once. Wiping all the way around it once. You don't have to wipe that three times. over the cast Yeah. no no you don't because the rest of that so imagine your cast is on your elbow here so now your hand part you're going to wash it and maybe at the top of the cast there's a bit of the elbow you can wash that and then you wipe that so now you've completed the full part you wash the areas that are exposed and you wipe the areas that are under the cast that's the full part done now Uh, no, for that one, the messenger said, Asabta sunnah. You've implemented, you've carried out the sunnah, and it's valid what you've done. But the other one was told, You have two rewards, meaning what you did in repeating it, it's, it's correct, and you get the reward for it, but it's not a necessity. That is the position you should take. Yes. Asabta sunnah, so that's the position you would take as a default. If you're in that situation, then that is sufficient. You wouldn't need to repeat it. anybody else all right Yeah, yeah, four raka'at, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Normally it's in twos. But there are examples when you can do more than that. In the night prayer, the tahajjud, there are examples when you can pray four raka'at all in one go. There is a sunnah you can pray seven and then do tashahud at the end. There are these different examples that are valid. Hmm. Uh, It it depends on uh, what they talk about, the nisbah, about the proportion of it, and would a large amount of that alcohol be intoxicating or not? If if you were to drink tons of that medicine, would you become intoxicated? Uh, A lot of it revolves around whether a large proportion of that would be intoxicating or not. Uh, But again, if a person wants to uh, uh, be safe, You try to use medicines that wouldn't have those types of thing in it and then you get all the questions about perfumes with alcohol as well. Then there's the issue of whether alcohol is haram because of its content um, or its makeup, meaning that if you spill alcohol on your garments, are they now impure? Difference of opinion? Because some scholars say alcohol as a liquid isn't impure. If it goes in your garments, your garments aren't impure, but it's impure in terms of drinking it. But others they say no it's impure altogether if it goes on you it's impure as well so then it's going to have different rulings on whether you can use it in perfumes and these things so with medicines it's going to be about the intoxication whether a large amount of it intoxicates if it doesn't that tiny proportion of whatever alcohol they put into it uh, if you were to drink huge amounts of that if it wouldn't intoxicate you then it's not a problem Mm-hmm. Is that, is that mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> so the question about if you can combine prayers, if you make made prayer if you're following the opinion that it removes the impurity completely and it's a substitute for wudu, then in that case. Now, nah you're a free man. Then you can combine, do what you want. You're upon wudu. You don't have to think about any of the rulings then. You are upon wudu just like the one next to you who had water. If you believe it's rafi'un lil hadith. Uh, maybe, maybe. Those those ones are, uh, if you look in the books of fiqh and the explanations, there's a lot on both sides. It's They're not, you know, you'll get scholars saying this is the stronger opinion, then you look in the other book and they'll say this is the stronger opinion. Those ones are a bit difficult, but it would appear so, alam. Hmm. Salah Allah alam. Salamu alaikum. Are they able to clean themselves? They uh, can't the bathroom so once somebody goes help them clean themselves, usually If a person is in that kind of state, then they are supposed to, if possible, with their family members, everybody, they are supposed to go and aid them to purify themselves. Let's say they're in a situation where that isn't possible. They're in some medical setting or whatever, and they only come and help them once a day. Then the rest of the day, they still pray as they are. If they have absolutely no other way, they can't clean themselves, they can physically not get up and go to the bathroom themselves, and the setting that they're in, and there's no other family members, you know, that extreme situation. In that extreme situation, they would pray as they are, even with the impurity. There is nothing you can do then. You pray as you are fatqullah comes to in the extreme situation hmm. yeah they if they can't move off their bed they can't do anything else they do to the best of their ability whatever is able for them whatever is possible for them what's uh, the strongest position on what defines a traveler in terms of again what defines a traveler there are so many opinions some of them have actual figures so there is a figure, like Sheikh Bin Baz mentioned, when you work it out the marahil and everything, it works out about 49 miles. 49 miles, 50 miles, thereabouts, so 80 kilometers. That is an opinion. There are other opinions which are far less than that. Like barely two or three miles. There are some opinions on that. There are opinions saying if you leave your city, so if you go outside of Bradford, outside of the BD, then you are now a traveler Uh, it mentions in the books of fiqh when you leave your city and you look back and you can see the buildings of your city you're out on the road now you look back and you can see the buildings of your city behind you you're now outside of your city you're a traveler Uh, so there's lots of different opinions one of them is the urf, which is a strong opinion i believe the custom and the tradition of the people so in the custom of the people what is considered a journey We've had these discussions many times with people over the years. If people in Bradford, they believe going over to uh, uh, Shipley, around the corner over there, uh, even though Shipley technically is Bradford anyway, but going from this area to that area, but the people in Shipley don't believe they are Bradford. You know that. <laughs> if you ask somebody in Shipley, so you're from Bradford, no, no, I'm from Shipley. So if you go to Shipley, that area there, if the people from here, this is B.D. What? BD7, you go from BD7 to Shipley. Do people in BD7 believe going to Shipley is a journey? Ask anybody in BD7, I'm going to Shipley today. Are they going to say, Shipley? You're going all the way down there. <laughs> is anybody going to behave like that? So in the custom of the people, you know that going to Shipley is not a journey. But if you say to somebody, I'm going to Edinburgh tomorrow. Now. Now. People are going to say, Edinburgh, what's going on? Why are you going there? What's happening? Because everybody in their mind now believes that's a journey. That's a long way. Why are you going there? What's happening? So in the custom of the people, you know Edinburgh is a journey without doubt. So there are customs to where people can recognize what is a journey or not. How can you tell? How can you define a custom? There are certain uh, signs sometimes. Like the scholars, they say, imagine now you go from here to Shipley. You get in your car, you turn on the engine, you drive. If you're going to go from here down to Southampton, you pack a little bag, you're going to pack some snacks, you're even going to maybe check the tire pressure, the air pressure, you'll maybe check the oil level, you'll maybe do a little couple of bits and bobs before you head off down to Southampton. You do all of those little bits and bobs because in your mind you know now you are going on a journey nobody would bother checking the tire pressure you're going to drive to Shipley. So in your mind, in the minds of the peoples, with the actions that they do, it indicates what you're thinking. If you pack a little sandwich and little snacks and things now, in your mind you're doing that because you know you're going to be going on a journey, on a long distance. When you don't bother with any of those things, then you can tell in the custom and mind of the people it's not a journey. And that's why, you know, from here even to Leeds, From here to Leeds, some of the brothers may view that as a journey. It's technically a different city. It's technically outside. It's possible. It's possible the opinions could apply. But if you think about the Urf and the custom of the people, you say to somebody in bd 7 I'm going to Leeds. I don't think. Allah Alam, maybe people want to argue over it. But I don't think anybody's going to think that's a journey. Pack your sandwiches. Your mothers aren't going to say to you, let me prepare something for you. It's a long way Leeds. Something could happen on the way. Nobody thinks like that. So in the custom of the people, it's not a journey. But on some of the other opinions and things, it could be. So on the customs, that's a strong way to work out what a journey is. Because mentally, you know in the tradition, what, how far is a journey, how far isn't. Hmm. Oh, exactly. um, if you're traveling with an elderly parent or grandparent in an airplane, and although it's easy for you to do by this, you know, manoeuvring yourself in the, the small water there, but it's difficult for the elderly parent or grandparent to do it. In that case, can they clean, although the water is available to them? Uh, the, then that would come into the second category where water is available but you're unable to use it. So are they genuinely in a situation where they are unable to use the water? I think it's uh, maybe a bit difficult to prove that on an aeroplane setting. On an airplane setting, it's maybe a bit difficult to prove that it's difficult to use the water. I mean, the, you know, there's, there's enough. I mean, standing up to all those, the only difficulty will be the feet. The rest of it, khalas, you're standing up there, you can do everything standing up, nothing wrong. It's just the feet that may be a difficulty. But again, if, if, if preparation was made, they made wudu before the flight, put their socks on before the flight. Now on the flight, they don't need to wash their feet or anything, they can just wipe Go into the bathroom, do everything else, just step out, give yourself space and wipe. So I think it's difficult to try and prove that water cannot be used in an aeroplane setting. Hmm. The ammo, the ammo the airplane, yeah. That's you true. TMO may be uh, difficult, you can't find a speck of dust in there. Well, sir, a, so the yeah, yeah, you can. If a person was unable to make wudu, imagine you got a relative in hospital, something's happened to them, they're lying down in their bed, they can't move. If you're there visiting, it's the time for the prayer. You can bring the water, you can put it on your hand and you can wipe your hand over their body parts and make wudu on them. That's possible. It can be done. A cloth? I don't know about using a cloth like that. Because wudu, it is supposed to be directly done allah knows about using a cloth hmm. all right we'll uh, conclude upon that for today then inshallah ta'ala in uh, four weeks time we'll continue with the next section which is now the section of menstruation so encourage all of the, the female folk the wives, daughters mothers encourage them to attend from next time we'll go over that section regarding all the rulings on periods and postnatal bleeding and menstruation Insha'Allah. inshallah